0: Given my love of games, there was really no way in hindsight that we wouldn't feature games on the Rule Breaker Investing podcast. Indeed, for instance, one of my more popular clicks each year with this podcast is our Games, Games, Games episode, where I pick out and share all of my recent favorite board games for you. And we tend to do that at the end of each year for you to take a look at, play with friends and family, maybe have a holiday gift for somebody. Yep, stock market investors, and people of all nations, you repeatedly let me know that Games, Games, Games is an annual highlight. Well, there's another game we've focused on even more frequently on the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast, and that would be the Market Cap Game Show. We play it only four times a year, not nearly enough, I always feel. And yet, like Halloween or Easter, they're even more special in that they come around infrequently, regularly, but rarely. Well, so too The market cap game show what i love about it is we played this game for you we've devised the whole thing so that you can play along at home learn from our contestants play with friends and family members maybe even beat us all at our own game and this time we're welcoming two new contestants new to the game show but not to motley fool members of any vintage because brian feroldi and brian stoffel have been lighting it up for motley fool members on motley fool live over the past two years and for years before that with their popular articles on fool.com. So it's Brian and Brian to make you smarter, happier, and a little richer too. So fasten your seatbelt, buckle up and get ready. It's the Market Gap Game Show September 2021 edition only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing.
1: It's the Rule Breaker Investing podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner.
0: Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. A delight to have you with us this week. And, yep, it's the Market Cap Game Show. I've lost track of how many of these, you know, many of my recurring series on this podcast, I'll say like volume 12, volume 13. But once you get up to 16 or 17, I stop counting, kind of like I stopped counting Spiffy Pops once we get to the Baker's Dozen. So, this is now ensconced enough in Rule Breaker Investing history and tradition that we're not going to count. Which show this is anymore? Because that's how often and lovingly so we have done the market cap game show. And I'm excited to bring two new guests to the table this week: Brian Feroldi and Brian Stoffel, the Brian's. Some of you will know them if you're Motley Fool members. I hope that you've kind of grown up with them over these last couple of years, where Motley Fool Live has really shined a light on many of our analysts and uh, and personalities around the Fool. And certainly Brian and Brian and their contributions have been invaluable to many Motley Fool members, whether it's Motley Fool Live in the morning these days, backstage pass in the afternoons, deeper research, all of that has been powered by many people. But Brian Feroldi and Brian Stoffel, I guess because they both have the name Brian, and then there's Brian Withers, and then there are people with screen names on Motley Fool Live who tap into the chat box, and one of them would be like, fan of Brian and Brian, but not Brian. And it's totally ambiguous. It's unclear who this humorous member is referring to with each of those. But throughout... This game show, since I have two Bryans, the Bryans, I'm going to be using their last names. Now, I'm very comfortable with that because the school I went to where I went and wore a jacket and tie in fourth grade forward, we were all <laughs> calling each other all boys by our last name. So I'm very comfortable with Feroldi and Stoffel, and they should certainly feel free to say Gardner at any point as well. Well, without further ado, let me welcome the Bryans, Brian Feroldi, Brian Stoffel. Guys, so good to be with you this week. Thanks, David. Thanks for having us, David. You bet. And let's start alphabetically. So, Brian Feroldi, I thought it'd be fun. Just have a, a one-minute or so intro. How did you find investing and the Motley Fool? I found investing by when I graduated college. I knew a little bit
1: about it because my dad dabbled in penny stocks, which is a lesson in itself. So I knew that stocks existed. I had no idea. Why they were publicly traded, why they went up and down, all that was completely foreign to me. Uh, but I read a whole bunch of books about personal finance and investing when I graduated in college in 2004. Uh, that included the Motley Fool Investment Guides. So you guys are in my uh, regular rotation. I found fool.com. I'm guessing in 2007. Mm. As I've told you, David, I thought the company was a charity. I was like, how are they giving away this free stock analysis? (laughs) Like, Is this a government-sponsored entity? I had no idea how the business model worked or anything like that, Um, but eventually became a paying member. Uh, This is true. My very first subscription to Stock Advisor, Best Buy Now 2008 was Netflix on your side of the scorecard and Netflix on Tom's side of the scorecard. and I said, These guys are dumb. Netflix, (laughs) the DVD by mail company. Uh, Spoiler alert, that was a great call on both your parts. But yeah, uh, and I've been a paying member uh, ever since.
0: Well, thank you. And you know, one thing about both Bryans uh, is that they are contractors of the Motley Fool. And that's that's a great opportunity for me to mention that there are two ways to work with us if you're a listener and you think, you know, I'd love to one day pull on the Motley chapeau and become a fellow fool. And the way most of us think of that is as employees, and certainly we have about six hundred of those full time these days, but a little known perhaps secret or story behind the Motley Fool's success is that we have hundreds more contractors than we have employees, people who write one-plus articles for us a month, sometimes one-plus a day, and uh, contributions on Motley Fool Live and other ways that contractors make contributions every day to the experience of Motley Fool members. So, guys, you're both wonderful examples, some of our most valuable and most beloved contractors, and you've been doing it for years and years. Let me turn now to Brian Stoffel. Brian, great to have you on this, your debut on the Market Cap Game Show, and how did you come to investing and in The Motley Fool?
2: Sure, so <clears throat> it's funny because investing wasn't even remotely interesting to me when I was growing up. Um, I was a middle school writing teacher in Washington, DC, um, and the, the school I was at had very long hours, And uh, eventually it just it was great, but it wasn't sustainable for me. And my wife and I decided to quit those jobs and move to Costa Rica, we said, for a year at the time. At around the same time, um, I just picked up the autobiography of Warren Buffett. Only reason because he was on the board of trustees at the college I went to, Grinnell College. Grinnell had a lot of money, like over a billion dollars for 1500 students. And I wanted wanted to find out why. Um, And that got me started. The other part that got me started was uh, Tim Hansen, who used to run a number of services, Global Gains, the old Global Gains was one of them. He was married to the guidance counselor at the school that I was teaching at. And (laughs) I would see his picture on banner ads sometimes. And I said, what? That's the guy that I met at happy hour. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and so that just got me started on it and to be honest as soon as we moved to Costa Rica it was something that was really it was it was much easier for my wife to slide into it was very difficult for me and my my outlet became the boards on the Motley Fool and so when we came back I started becoming a contractor and and the rest is history That's
0: wonderful and yeah our discussion boards where uh we three guys have traded many notes over the years on Motley Fool discussion boards lots of uh, enjoyment of community, and in a lot of ways, the Motley Fool is one great big investment club, and uh, and you know there we are sharing it out, um, whether it's through free podcasts or discussion boards or articles, the list goes on. It is not a charity, I am happy to say, <laughs> Brian Feroldi. I mean, I love charities, and I love our Motley Fool Foundation as it's growing uh, as an early stage charity, but. Yeah, we also love for-profit companies. We we are one, as you guys know. And we're going to be talking about 10 of those for this market cap game show. So let's start preparing for the game now. We have a lot of new listeners. I think it's always good to redefine our terms. So I'll just mention again, the market capitalization of a company is kind of the price tag if you wanted to buy a company outright. We walked down the Aisles of Walmart, we see price tags on things. That's how much it costs to buy that product. Well, if you wanted to buy Netflix, for example, how much would that cost? And the answer is the market cap. Now, 101 level, i.e., click one level deeper, this is not actually how much you would pay because there's an enterprise cost where you have to either assume the debt of the company that you're purchasing or benefit from the cash, which tweaks this. But keeping things simple and big picture, Netflix today, with a market cap of about $260 billion, yeah, that's how much it would cost to buy Netflix. Now, how do we arrive at that number? Well, we just take all of the shares outstanding of Netflix stock, ticker symbol NFLX, which will not be featured in this <laughs> week's Market Cap Game Show. You take all of the shares of stock and you simply multiply it by the stock price. So, number of shares times stock price gets you the market cap, and that's the game show we're playing. Now, the rules of the game are simple. I'll be turning to one of the Brian's. And asking him about a certain company, he will specify a range of market cap whereby he believes within that range, the number exists. And the other Brian will then turn and say simply inside that range, i.e. I agree with my friend here. It's inside that range or outside that range. And plus one, if he gets it right. And what I love about this game, as I've mentioned, is you can play right along with us at home. So as one of the Brians gives you their final range, just before we ask the other one, you should be asking the same question of you, of yourself. Is it inside or outside? You can score right along with us. Certainly, lots of us who enjoy Twitter, you can hashtag it out this week. I beat Brian or I lost to Brian. It's totally ambiguous. It's beautiful. You could even go with hashtag I beat Brian but lost to Brian. We'll see. But you can score a maximum of 10. That's if you get every single one of these right give yourself 10 points. Good luck. All right. Without further ado, guys, I say, let's get started on the September 2021 edition of the Market Cap Game Show. I'm going to turn to Stofel first. Brian, I know you like I know you like frameworks. Am I, I right about that?
2: I'm a huge fan of frameworks.
0: And what's an example of a framework that you find that you find helpful, whether in investing, business, or life? For investing, I
2: have one that I've developed. Uh, I call it the anti-fragile framework, where I read a book called Anti-Fragile by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And I said, it wasn't about investing per se, but I said, I bet I could take some of the ideas from this and and tweak them for investing. Um, And what it really did is it it made it much easier to dive into a stock that I might not have known something about and to know what were the key things that I wanted to find out.
0: I love it. And we're definitely going to return to that a little bit later because I have queued up a conversation with both of you a little bit later in this game show about that. But sticking with frameworks, then that's a great example. Taleb, And anti fragile is a framework, and then you've kind of homebrewed pulling some great ideas of his into your own framework. And so I get it. And I like frameworks too. So, Brian, there are a lot of frameworks out there in this world. I'm gonna just try a phrase on you and see if you recognize this phrase. When I say to you peak of inflated expectations, does that trigger anything for
2: you? Not not particularly. If I had to just guess, I would say that it would have something to do with Peter Lynch, but but I'm just pulling a rabbit out of a hat.
0: No worries. And so peak of inflated expectations, which is one of the five stages of the so-called hype cycle. Another one that comes after the peak of inflated expectations is the trough of disillusionment. And this is the Gartner hype cycle. Now, Gartner, an IT consulting company, its ticker symbol is in fact IT Gartner is a company that has become synonymous with a few different frameworks. One of them is the hype cycle. And anybody can Google Gartner Hype Cycle or even Gartner Hype Cycle Rule Breaker Investing, where I did a whole podcast on it. But you can learn and see the five stages of hype. Another one is their magic quadrant, where they follow innovators and they see who's who's in, in the most envious position within a given Quadrant of an industry who's in that upper right space that all consultants want you to be on their graph in terms of really leading innovation within different industries. So, those are a couple examples of Gartner. And the reason we're talking about Gartner, Stoffel, (laughs) is that I'm about to ask you the market cap of Gartner ticker symbol IT, the range of market cap. And again, for new players. Brian has an opportunity here to state a range, which is kind of a gamer question on its own. He could make it really big and generous, which might ensure that he kind of gets it right himself, but then he sets up his opponent potentially to just easily say inside. And so the choice of the range itself is part of this game. Brian Stoffel, what is your range of market cap for Gartner? I'm going to put
2: my range between... 15
0: and 27 billion dollars. All right, so Gartner ticker symbol IT between 15 and 27 billion dollars. Brian Froldy, now we are a podcast, but we're using video to see each other. Others can't see you, but I saw you sort of scratch your chin a little bit. What are you thinking? If you were
1: to just ask me, what do I think the market cap of Gartner is right now? I would guess 25 billion dollars, roughly. So I was thinking to myself, if he says between 20 and 30, I would probably take the inside. But what did you say? You said something to 27? 15. I mean, said that,
0: 15 to 15 27. To
1: billion. Gardner has been a phenomenal long-term investment. It's one of those companies that gets overlooked by a lot of people, but it's a steady, steady-eddy grower. Uh, to make
0: things fun, I'll say, I'll say outside. I think it's bigger than 27. All right. And everybody at home, you need to answer right now, we can't track you, Scouts Honor, inside or outside. I heard Brian say outside and and it was awfully close. I will say this. You both had a really good idea. Circling around that number, $25 billion, was, was kind of the magic ticket to say nothing of the magic quadrant because the market cap for Gardner, and again, we're doing this as of Monday afternoon, so things can change in the markets, but I've locked it down. The prices here on Monday afternoon. billion dollars. So you both were really, really (laughs) close. And I I would say that I would say that Stofel put Ferroldi in a tough place when outside the range was less than a billion away. So I totally understand where you went there, Feroldi. But in this case, we have to give Stofel the plus one. And so if you said inside the range, players at home, give yourself a plus one. Brian Froldi, you've mentioned this is a wonderful long-term performer. I love how you characterized it. It is a company that isn't going to make anybody's hot new buy list, but it's one of those stocks to buy and to hold and to do really well with over the years. Do you happen to own shares? I don't myself.
1: I, I don't own shares myself. It's one of those ones that just looks too boring to own, but there's a lot of <laughs> stocks out there that are very boring and they do nothing
0: but go up, and I think Gartner's <laughs> one of them it is kind of a boring company and it's just one letter off my own surname so i'm sad to say that but you know it's up 250% over the last 5 years that's pretty exciting the market up market's doubled over the last 5 years so that's that's been a good 5 years but it's it's an exciting stock and strong returns and Again, with a market cap of $26.43 billion, it feels like it's got some room to run here in the coming decades. We shall see. Brian Stoffel, any final thought on Gartner before we move on? I'm glad that we did this on a day where the market is down quite a bit, because this morning, I might have been wrong. (laughs) Well said. All right. Let me now turn to Feroldi and its company number two. Let me ask you, Brian, am I right? Do you drive a Tesla these days? I do. I drive a Model Y. Wonderful. I know you're a family guy. You've got kids. You've got the traditional American family, but the a traditional American family car, because I don't think Tesla comes to mind first when a lot of us think about a family car, but that really is the, the function of the Model Y. Has it been a good ride for the Feroldi's? We have
1: absolutely loved it, although I will say it is one more device that I have to manage because, as you know, you can watch Netflix and play video games inside the Model Y. But we lost power um, a few weeks ago from uh, the storm that came through the Northeast. And it was actually really great to have it to charge my phones. We actually put our kids in there and they watched a movie uh, while we didn't have power. So I'm a big Tesla fan.
0: That is an amazing story. I love it. And Brian, have you gotten a, a speeding ticket? in the Model Y? Not yet, but I probably deserve at least one. (laughs) (laughs) Do you use Waze or anything to keep you on track in terms of knowing whether there's a smoky over the hill? Or at least here in the Washington DC area, we have speed cameras all over the place. So, Waze is my friend. Sounds like it's not a relevant need of yours.
1: I use Waze constantly when I'm going long distance, but I don't use it for uh, close travel. Excellent. So, I can't really get you.
0: Have you had a speeding ticket anytime in the last 10 or 15 years? Uh, I think it's been more than 10 years. I learned my lesson there. Wow. How about any run-ins at any point in the past with the police that you or a friend had an anecdote hanging thereby? Am I barking up the right tree here?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm. I'm a human. I've had friends
0: with the police. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Anything you want to share with approximately 110,000 people around the world?
1: Yeah, no, no.
0: Nothing I want to talk about there. <laughs> Excellent. In that case, let's move on to what the company is. And this company helps the police. It specializes in arming the police and also giving them body armor and enabling them to, well, record all those videos off their body cams these days and store them up in the cloud. This is a company well-known to many Motley Fool members. Uh, Axon Enterprises, of course, the company, ticker symbol AXON. I know both Brian's know this. A lot of our listeners won't, but this was the former Taser So, that's still a huge product for Axon Enterprise, but they renamed their company some years ago because the shift in their product mix toward body cameras is so significant. Also, they have armor and other things for law enforcement, mostly domestically, but also somewhat increasingly worldwide. So, I'm glad that you didn't have any big scrape with the police to share, Brian. I'm really happy thinking about the Froldies watching a movie while the power's out in the family car. I just love that anecdote. But let's talk now about the market cap of Axon Enterprise. The ticker symbol is A-X-O-N. Froldy, what is your range of market cap for Axon?
1: Well, I'm not very happy that you picked this company because I know for a fact that Brian Stoffel knows this company way better than I do. I will say that I am a shareholder of Axon in huge part because of Brian's bullishness on it over the last couple of years. One of the things that I got wrong about this company is I thought it was just a taser company. Uh, Brian's one of the people that pointed out, nope, it's a software as a service company that happens to sell tasers and body cameras. So it's been a stellar, stellar uh, long-term investment. But even today, I don't think this company is huge. I'm going to guess it's somewhere between let's say $4 billion and
0: $8.5 billion. All right. The range stated $4 billion to $8.5 billion. Players at home, turning to you now and of course to Brian Stoffel and ask you inside or outside the range of 4 to $8.5 billion. Brian was right. This is truly unfair. I think there
2: might be one company that I know the market cap of, like literally one company, and you picked it. So amazing! I'm going to
0: as I told you guys off air before the show, I kind of randomized the list, so I had no idea this one was going to pop up, and I'd forgotten Brian S. All of your work here, so I'm I, I feel like I gave you a layup here, inside or outside that range. Well,
2: I'm going to go for the three pointer because I'm going to say outside the range, and then I'll just throw in there that I think it rounds to twelve billion.
0: And you had to be licking your chops. I saw you fist pumping as I started to talk about Axon earlier, Brian Stoffel. and so indeed, give yourself a plus one if you said outside the range. Listeners at home, give yourself. A plus one. The market cap of Axon Enterprise is $11.79 billion, which, as Brian said, rounds to 12. Brian Stoffel, when did you first take a shine to this company?
2: You know, I took a shine to it, David, when I was uh, helping vote on some of your missions um, for Supernova. And I, at the time, decided that, that that's how I developed the anti-fragile framework because I just needed a way. I had no way to think, convince myself I was picking intelligently. And as soon as I put it through, I was like, oh, there is so much to like about this company, founder led and multiple moats and very mission driven. And, you know, it's not a perfect company, but doing important work
0: for all sides of society. Well said. And it is one of those companies where I've often talked about my snap test. If you snapped your fingers and a company disappeared overnight, would anyone notice? Would anyone care? I think a lot of people would notice not you and me necessarily right away as uh, normal citizens and consumers and whatever else we call ourselves. But if you were in law enforcement and all of a sudden the cloud where all the videos for your police department were stored and everybody else's, if that didn't work and your tasers didn't work and your body camera didn't work, that would be very noticeable to the world. And so, it's often a good guide and reminder, guys, as to which companies we should have in our portfolios, the ones that really matter, that make a real difference day-to-day in the lives of many of us. So, thank you for that, Brian. Congratulations on knowing that market cap really well. <laughs> Brian Feroldi, I hope that I've randomized a one that you know much better than Brian Stelfel, I feel like I've tilted it unfairly toward him, and so that's on me. Let's move to company number three, where I will turn back to Brian Stelfel and ask, Brian, who's on your Mount Rushmore of living, active CEO founders of internet companies? Ooh, that's a good question. Because it doesn't have to be all four, but maybe a few people that come to mind in your mind as living, active CEO founders of internet companies, the Mount Rushmore of them. All right. Well,
2: Mark Benioff has to be on there, and he's not even someone that I follow that closely or read much of what he says. But Benioff is much like Bill Walsh, where Bill Walsh, coach of the 49ers when Joe Montana was the quarterback and they won all those championships. There's so many head coaches in the NFL who came from that family tree, and it's the same thing with Salesforce and Benioff, Mm. Okta and Viva and Zora, and there's just so many that have a former Salesforce executive at the helm, so he's got to go up there. Um, Internet companies, it's not fair. I'm going to throw Bezos up there, even though he's not CEO anymore, his letters to shareholders are incredible and legendary. and. You know what? I, I think it would be those two. If I had to just pick two out, of be those two. Um, I think one of the problems is is some of the other ones are so low key that you know, Larry Page. I never feel like I got to know Larry Page, mm. and he did a great job. He did a great job, but I for I, Google, yeah, for Google Alphabet. But I never really got to know him, so I'm gonna stick with Benioff and Bezos, and I know I'm cheating there too.
0: Well, it's just fine. All I really wanted was to hear Mark Benioff, because that's where we're headed for company number three. Now, Mark Benioff is the founder and CEO of Salesforce. Yeah. Salesforce with its ticker symbol CRM for Customer Relationship Management. I'm pretty sure that's what the acronym is, which is kind of an old school acronym from decades ago. You know, Having some software or some way of tracking your relationship with your customers. Well, writ large and put that in the cloud and have them running Whole economies practically these days, Salesforce has become a really dominant company. And I'm glad you went right to Mark Benioff first, Brian. I didn't know you were going to go there, but I think that he is extremely admirable, not just as a CEO, but as a person. And their 111 model, where they give away 1% of their product for free to people who couldn't afford it otherwise, they give away 1% of their revenues every year to charities, and they give away, well, 1% of their employees' time to volunteer at whatever charity their employee wants to serve. It's a great one-one-one model. Very admirable. You know what else is admirable? Where their market cap has reached today. This has been a long-term holding of Motley Fool Rule Breakers. It's been a monster stock, and we're happy to have been along the, for the ride for more than 10 years now. Let me turn back to Brian Stelvo. Brian, what is your range of market cap for Salesforce, ticker symbol CRM? It's going
2: to be very random, but I'm going to go because I hear that and I think it would be really big but I don't think it's huge. I'm going to go between 123 billion and 147 billion.
0: 123 to 147. I see your friend and noble opponent Brian Froldy fist pumping this time. I feel like Brian, you have confidence in what you're about to say. Why do you have confidence? So,
1: Salesforce is a company that I have an interesting history with. Uh, The company I worked for prior to coming to The Fool adopted Salesforce in 2005, 2006-ish. And I immediately understood how valuable the technology was. Like, immediately. I was like, our company would shut down if Salesforce didn't work. And I was like, I wonder if this company is publicly traded. And it was. And then I immediately said, PE ratio is 140. Forget it.
0: (laughs) And I just checked
1: this earlier today. It's a 33 bagger from when I passed on it because the valuation was too high. So this to me is a company that I have one of the many companies that I passed on because the valuation was too high and then went on to multi-bag. So I was thinking prior to Brian saying anything that if I was to guess, I would say the market cap is somewhere between 200 and 300 billion. So he said something to 147 billion. So I'm taking the over.
0: You're taking the outside. All right. I'm going to reveal the answer in a second, but I will mention that Tim Byers brought this. I'm now looking at our rule breaker site. January 21st, 2009, the the cost basis was $6.89. So that's, yeah, that's a 37 bagger. That's basically how this company has performed. And it wasn't exactly a micro cap back then either, guys. But again, Brian Stoffel stated range 123 to 147 billion. Brian Feroldi, you just said that's more like twice that outside the range. And it is indeed outside the range. So, I feel as if I gave Brian F back a stock that he knew really well. And so, randomly, we got to a place of, I think, fairness once again. So, Brian, did you ever end up buying Salesforce or did you just discount it back then and just never hop on the, the train anytime since? I should probably
1: buy one share just to remind myself <laughs> that I never bought it. But no, it never entered my portfolio. And it's done It's done nothing but go up every time I've looked at it.
0: You know, while I think we can all relate to that, I think we've all ha- had stocks or companies like that. And, you know, yes, you still could and I, I think should buy it. This is a great company for the next 20 years, I think. That's always been my mentality, as you guys know. But I'll also say that it's still kind of comforting to know you had a good eye for something. You had the horse sense, you had the actually, in this case, the consumer experience to recognize that. And so a lot of it, a lot of investing, and I'm not just talking to the Bryans here, but to everybody listening, a lot of investing is just acting on your good impulses, not just having the good impulses, which is comforting, but certainly, of course, acting on them. But it has to start with having those impulses in the first place. And for a lot of us, they come to us through our professional experience or our hobbyist experience, our consumer buys as well. Brian Stovel, what was it about Mark Benioff in your mind that distinguishes him uh on your Mount Rushmore?
2: He's just been around for so long. Um, and again, I the thing is is I don't cover Salesforce that much, but I do cover Viva, and I did cover Zora. and I did own Okta. And you read through, they're all founder-led companies, and it's just Salesforce, 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 and I'm probably missing mm. some here too. The bottom line is as I just said, I've seen this pattern before. It was it was the 49ers and you know increasingly a little bit Bill Belichick
0: and the and the uh, and the Patriots too. You know, it's a it's a great point. And it's not just true of Salesforce. I can think of the PayPal Mafia, which is often a phrase used around Elon Musk. And these days, companies like Palantir Technologies and YouTube and Yammer, all of these have companies Tesla, <laughs> all of these came from PayPal and and the so-called mafia back in the day, Peter Thiel Reed Hoffman, who started LinkedIn, etc. So yeah, there are these clusters of of people sometimes, or we might even say, if you think of Silicon Valley, ecosystems that grow out around certain places, times, or people. And it's worth paying attention to those, isn't it? Because they really are rich wellsprings of possibility. And I'm so glad you thought of that right away with Benioff. And I wasn't even thinking about. The so-called, we'll just call it here on this show. So it's now so-called the so-called Salesforce mafia, but it runs deep. And those are some great rule breaker companies. You mentioned, by the way, none of those Viva's War, etc., will appear on this show. I already know the seven coming, so you you guys can know you're safe from the Salesforce mafia. All right, I think I'm getting carried away. You're pointing off offline to me via chat, Brian, that I hadn't even mentioned the market cap of Salesforce.com. So let me do that right now. The market cap is two hundred fifty-four point eight nine billion. So just about double that range that was given. And you know, I, I see again Froldi fist pumping because he knew it, because he's followed the company for more than a decade. And maybe, yeah, maybe should buy at least one share. All right, let's keep moving. I counted as Stofel two. Froldy one as we hit company number four. So let me now turn to Brian Froldy. Brian, who's on your Mount Rushmore of fallen star CEO founders of sporting goods companies?
1: Yeah, that's going to be a pretty empty Mount Rushmore for me. I can't even <laughs> think of
0: one. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we'll keep working on this. I do see Brian Stelfen maybe wants to contribute a name. Brian, I- I'm guessing Kevin Plank. I think that's fair. Now, I'm not going to put anybody on anybody's Mount Rushmore, but I will admit that on my own, I guess, there aren't that many people there, but I think Kevin Plank might be there because Under Armour came out as such a raging rule breaker 20-plus years ago with a great backstory, city of Baltimore, guy who'd played some football at University of Maryland, but then he comes out and he really was a rock star CEO for for many years and, and created a great brand, some of the most memorable ads uh, beyond Nike's in all of advertising, at least for me, where things like protect this house. So, Kevin Plank, unfortunately, the house has been under assault by, uh, in some cases, external competition. In others, guys, self-inflicted gunshot wounds by poor decisions, I think. Still admire Kevin Plank in, in, in some ways. Uh, the company culture has been assailed by others for being a little bit of a guy-heavy sports culture. Uh, not fitting so well with the world in which we live today. There are a lot of things that have gone wrong for Under Armour, which, by the way, comes in two classes of stocks. So as I tried to look up the market cap for this one, I was like, well, do we do the UA market cap or the UAA market cap? Because they technically have different market caps. So for those who are that exacting playing at home, we're going to use the UAA market cap. And Ryan Froldi, I don't know if that changes the number too much in your own mind, knowing that, but they're off. I'll just tell you, spoiler alert, they're off by about a billion. But I won't say anything more than that. Under Armour, is this a stock that you ever have owned or thought of owning? Oh, yes. I, I was a
1: Kevin Plank bull uh, because there was a time period where Under Armour could do no wrong. And then that was immediately followed by a period when Under Armour couldn't do anything right. And I held all the way up and all the way down. And I tried, I defended Under Armour as an investment for probably 18 months before I finally said, this company has lost its way. Uh, so yeah, I, I think the net result for Under Armour for me was uh, a, small, a small net loss. But yeah, it was a, it was a wild ride.
0: Well, and it's been a long time rule breaker, and since I tend not to sell my companies through thick and thin, it's been an underperformer, pretty dramatically so at this at this point. You know, it's funny, Brian, that the stock's almost gotten kind of sleepy. The fifty two week range is not that dynamic, and it's it's just a much quieter thing today. And you know, I want I hope for good things for Under Armour. Uh, they remain an active stock recommendation of ours, and a fair number of people listening to us right now might still own UA or UAA. But more to the point. Brian Froldi, what is your range of market cap for Under Armour, in this case, ticker symbol UAA? So this
1: is a company, not a company that I've looked at at all in the last three years. I do know the last time I looked at it, the business was maybe back to growth mode, maybe low single digit is my guess. The long-term bull case for this company was the international sales are really going to pick up and they really never got that going. They never got into the footwear market like they wanted to, and they were going to be the next Nike until Nike became the next Nike. <laughs> I'm going to guess that this company is down on its luck, and it's somewhere between $2 billion and
0: billion in market cap. All right. $2 billion to $4.5 billion market cap. The Mount Rushmore of fallen star, CEO, founders of sporting goods companies, not Maybe not even four faces to put up on the Mount Rushmore, but I think it's fair to have Kevin Plank up there. And I saw you indicate that earlier, Brian Stovell. Two billion to four and a half billion for Under Armour. Inside that range or outside that range? I'm going to go outside that range. I think. I mean, if I if I was throwing it out, I'd say around ten. It is outside that range. That's right. The The market cap for Under Armour, $9.38 billion. I don't think I would have done very well with this one. I hear you, Feroldi, in terms of feeling like it's much lower. And it is a much sleepier company today, but still more sizable than many of us might have been thinking. But Brian Stoffel, you had this one right again, $9.38 billion, well outside the range of two to four and a half. You know, one of the funny things about this company, guys, is that it really started trending down when CEO Plank began to make acquisitions of information technology, wearable devices, uh, kind of a data play, which seems so smart and forward-thinking. This was all kind of almost pre-Apple Watch. I mean, early days, I mean, the Fitbit was out there, but wow, was he active in acquisitions. And I don't really know why it didn't work. Does either of you?
2: I feel like their core business was crumbling so much that focusing on adding a layer on top of that was was too difficult. And, and part of that was that I, I feel like they decided to dilute their brand by offering it at discounted prices. And that was just the, mm. the, the, the key move that killed them.
1: If you can go to TJ Maxx and find Under Armour, that's not good for your brand.
0: <laughs> I hear you. Now, a lot of people do enjoy their TJ Maxx, but if you're a premium brand, you might not want to appear there. It feels less premium. I Last time I checked, there's no Starbucks in my TJ Maxx where I can pick up Starbucks <laughs> while I'm shopping. So, I hear you there. Uh, no doubt a number of missteps, but We'll still hope for good things from Under Armour. I think Nike deserves some competition. We don't want one big dog to run away with everything, although certainly Adidas and Converse, and there are a lot of other players in this space too. Speaking of players, players at home, I count Brian Stelfel with three, Brian Feroldi at one. Are you beating Brian? Are you losing to Brian? What do you think of Brian? I like Brian a lot. (laughs) I've been enjoying this, Brian. All right, let's go on to company number five. Turning now to Brian for Brian, you mentioned your time in Costa Rica. Now, you were gracious enough with me, uh, I think, early days when you first moved there. At one point, I saw a photo. You sent me, I think, a photo of what it looked like. I think you were like on the side of a mountain. It felt like you, you were li- living in a, a lean-to. You have your wife and a couple of kids. It looked pretty remote. Is that accurate?
2: Yes, that, that is accurate. It is, it is quite remote. It's a coffee farm that we live on, and uh, it's a container home that
0: we live in. Which is really cool, and I want to talk a little bit more about that right now. But first, let me ask: Am I hearing somebody in the yes, background? You I are. hear. And and so, if you're willing to divulge <laughs> this, how old are the kids these days? Well, my daughter is eight, and she
2: is at school. My son is three, and uh, his favorite person in the world right now is actually Brian Feroldi. <laughs> I'm I'm not making that up. He he likes to jump on the on the headphones and talk to him. Uh,
0: but he just started school, and so he's having a little bit of a rough time. Understood. And you know, I, I I remember that at least for a portion of the pandemic, you came back out of Costa Rica, and I think moved back maybe in with family in your native Wisconsin. I was assuming you're still there. Where are you as we speak? We're in Wisconsin now. We we were unable to go back this past
2: winter. Uh, they they. They were letting people in, but you had to get special insurance that was very expensive. It was not going to work for us.
0: All right. So you've you've evolved, you've adapted, you've made the best of it. I see a smile on your face. I know you make good choices out there in life, Brian. So I love but you've retained your place in the coffee farm. This is remains an active thing you'll be heading back to when you feel you can do it again. That's that's the plan. We're not sure exactly when that'll be, but that's the plan. So when I think about remote places, I start wondering things like, I mean, how did you power things? Did you have Wi-Fi in your in your remote co- coffee farm living circumstances on the side of a mountain in very traditional looking shelter solar power
2: we had wind s- power solar and wind is what powers us um where we live on our half of the farm if you go to the other half of the farm there's about a probably about a 3 to 400 square foot area where you can get internet but it's it's line of sight so the 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 receptor needs to be able to see the other receptor that's in the central valley of the country.
0: Wow. I guess I want to ask you before we go to our company, what motivated your your move out there and and maybe without going on too long because the show will be too long, but could you just describe like a day in the life of what it's like to wake up with your family at the at the coffee farm in Costa Rica? Sure.
2: Well my wife deserves a lot of credit for it. We we had decided that teaching was just Uh, taking up too much time the way that we were teaching the schools we were teaching in. And she mentioned one day, she said, you know, we could go abroad and it was just kind of off the cuff and, and we kind of ran with it. She had that, uh, that adventurous streak and, and I, it, it emboldened me. Um, Mm. She emboldened me. Um, But a day in the life is it's very different than when it was before, because we have two kids now. Uh, It usually the last time we were there involved me waking up at about five with my then one year old. We would walk to the top of the mountain to watch the sunrise because it's about the only thing you can do that allows the rest of your family to still sleep. Come back, we get <laughs> eggs from the chickens on the farm, and we make breakfast. And then we would decide on some type of activity for the day. Uh, it's like homeschooling. So one day they might count up all the different types of food that live on the farm, and there's two other children their age on the farm. So all four of them would get together and do this. Wow. At some point, I would bow out to go do writing. And then come back and my wife deserves a ton of credit because she has less free time when we're in Costa Rica, actually, than when we're home. So that's difficult um, and a sacrifice for her. Um, And then, honestly, the only other thing I'll say is it's really interesting being near the equator, it can be really sunny out and seem really sunny out at 5, but the sun goes straight down and doesn't angle the way that it does kind of where I am in Wisconsin. So, it can be really sunny out at 5, and by like 5.45 or 6, it's pitch black
0: and you go to sleep because there's nothing else to do. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that window in. And we are going to be talking about a power company here for stock number five. And the world's leading provider of solar and wind power. The company is Next Era Energy. It really kind of started as Florida Power and Light, which remains such a huge part of the business. But this very forward thinking management team started getting invested in solar and wind uh, well ahead of many of its industry peers. And today it is a worldwide leader in solar power and wind power. Next Era Energy, ticker symbol NEE. Turn back to you, Brian Stovall, and ask, what is your market cap range for next era energy?
2: I'm going to go between 43
0: and, and 74. 43 billion to 74 billion. Brian Faroldi, do you like your local energy provider? Who's serving your house? Uh, a company called National
1: Grid uh, services my house, but I have solar panels. Uh, so my because of the deal I have, my utility sends me a check every month. So I like my utility very much.
0: Wow, that's remarkable. I know you live in somewhere in Rhode Island. Uh, is there enough sunlight to make your solar panels work year round? How does that work? Yeah,
1: they work year round. I mean, in the winter, I'm consuming far more power than I'm making, and reverse that in the summer. So it all it all averages out. A net positive for me.
0: Wonderful. Well, Brian specified a range of 43 billion to 74 billion. So I turn to you, Brian Froldy, and ask you, along with all of our players at home, inside that range or outside that range for next era energy. Well, my strategy for this
1: game when Brian is pitching is to come up with a number in my head. And obviously, that's not working, but I'm going to stick with it because I don't know what else to do. But my initial thought when you said NextEra Energy was about $100 billion. This reminds me of Gartner. It's a boring market beater. <laughs> that's what it, what it is. Uh, so my, my gut feel was this is a $100 billion uh, company. So I'm going to say outside.
0: Outside that range. And? It is indeed outside that range. This company today is rocking a market cap of 164.79 billion. Yep, I always like to take it out to two digits, which makes Next Era Energy, guys, about six times larger than Gartner, among others, but still about half the size of Salesforce. Part of knowing your market caps is just seeing the relative differences from widely divergent companies. And sometimes that they share market caps out of totally different industries is a fun fact as well. So great call, Brian. That brings the game back up to three to two. Stoffel three for oldie two. Let's keep moving, guys. Here comes company number six. Well, for both of the next two companies, these are the two companies that I don't know. The other eight I have previously picked. Most of them are still in place wherever they are with low-cost bases, I hope, although Under Armour not looking like a great long-term pick for me. But no, companies number 6 and 7, I don't know, which is why I'm going to turn to each of you in turn and ask you, how do you begin researching a stock that you know nothing about? I think you guys do that really well. There might be a little bit of a contrast in terms of your approach or maybe a lot of similarity. I know you partner and do that together in front of audiences. So, I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more. But before I mention the company name, let me turn to you, Brian Feroldi, and ask you again, how do you begin researching a stock that you know nothing about?
1: Yeah, well, this is something that we get to do all the time, and Brian and I get to do it together. And we think it's tremendous fun to go from, I know absolutely nothing about a company, to about an hour later having an opinion on it. Uh, and the process we go through is 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 pretty predictable. Uh, the first thing we do is Google the company name and investor relations. And if you can't get the information there, <laughs> you should probably pass on that company. Um <laughs> But the first thing I do is I open up the the most recent annual report or the 10K or if the company's newly public the S1 or the S1A or the 424B4, which is a post-IPO um, document that tells you essentially everything that you need to know about the company. And if you just start where they describe their business and read till the part that says risks, you will learn almost everything that you need to know about that company. Uh, but from then there, we check out places like glass door. Uh, we go to the proxy statement to see what kind of inside ownership we have. Uh, I'm a fan of looking at the stock to see if the stock has beaten the market because I'm a big fan of adding to winners and avoiding losers and et cetera. Uh, but yeah, all in, it takes about an hour roughly to go from I know nothing to I, I can tell if I want to invest in this company or not.
0: And isn't that great? I, I've had a lot of fun watching you guys do that. And it, it part of what I love about it is that I think we're all kind of humanities people or I, I, no, none of us is rocking a, a, an official investing degree that would suggest that we are now uh, allowed as non-professionals to go out and learn about companies. Nope. We're kind of amateurs in the best sense of the term, Brian and Brian and Dave. And I, I love that process. Brian Stoffel, what do you want to add? I, I'll just add that, uh, that that is what you
2: just said is what I find the most valuable about it because- Because if you don't see people struggling, who've been doing that, Brian and I have been doing this for 10 years, at least trying to do it for 10 years. And to see someone who's been trying to do it for 10 years kind of (laughs) struggle with the same questions, like, what does that acronym mean? I have no idea. To hear someone say, we don't hear that enough. And so when you hear that, all of a sudden, if you're watching, you might start to think, maybe I can try this. Maybe I can get all right at this.
0: Well said. And it's been a lot of fun watching you guys do that. Again, part of the fun of it is going in almost not knowing what the company is going to be and all of a sudden finding it, oh, it's that company. Okay, let's do this together. And just the clubby aspect as well. Again, I've described The Motley Fool as one great big investment club in the past. And uh, this listenership and what we do, we're kind of a club from week to week. And so doing it with somebody else, somebody that you enjoy and learning together is such a rewarding experience. Well, let me now mention, this company, because I know almost nothing about it. This comes from some other Motley Fool services. Maybe you guys know this Luxembourg-based company that was initially founded in Buenos Aires, which I believe is the capital of Argentina. Uh, I won't say the company's revenues or employees because that might start making easy-to-guess Globent's market cap. The ticker symbol is GLOB, GLOB. I will give a little bit of a spoiler alert here. Even though I've never recommended this, nor do I know much about this IT software services provider, I will mention it's an eight-bagger over the past five years. I mentioned earlier the market's doubled over the last five years, so this has been a monster. Turning back to Brian Feroldi, Globent S.A. I guess that's for South America. Even though, Brian, did you know Globent is based in Luxembourg? I didn't know they were based in Luxembourg, but I do know that their largest client is a company called Disney. Well said. And you already know more than I do. But I guess I could have Googled that and started walking through a 10K in the next hour and gotten really up to speed on this company or any other mentioned this week. Do you have any other past associations with Globent?
1: Yeah, I've done a couple of write-ups for for The Motley Fool on Globent. And the, the elevator pitch for this company is it's Accenture, but in South America. Uh, they're based. A lot of their employees are based out of South America, and they help companies to enter the digital age. So they do a lot of consulting services for them. Founded by four uh, co-founders, all four of them are still involved. They still own a ton of stock, and it has just been, as you said, a monster winner. Uh, so yeah, this
0: this is a great another sleepy stock that just goes up. Love <laughs> love those stories. The stories of founders that stay together and that owns stock years later. And you're right. This company, well, I see a lot of Argentine uh, employees. At least the names look that way, even though they're today based in Luxembourg for reasons I'd have to research. I'm sure there's some tax or other benefit to that. But let's go right then to the market cap. Brian Froldi, I feel as if you might know this one pretty well. A lot of us may be hearing this company name for the first time. Globant, ticker symbol G-L-O-B. Brian Froldi, what is the market cap range you're going to specify for Globant?
1: Yeah, I've done several write ups on it, but I haven't looked at the stock recently. Although if I had to guess, I would guess it's higher than the last time I looked at it. So I'm going to but here's when the game comes in, of course. So I'm going to say between 11 and 14 billion.
0: See. All right. 11 billion to 14 billion. You are referencing the game mechanics here. Sometimes, and, and my cadets never have to admit to this, but sometimes you can intentionally specify something wrong simply to head fake your opponent and then not feel like you got it wrong because we all knew you knew it the whole time you were just playing a game. So maybe that's what you're doing here, Brian Feroldi. Let me turn now to Stoffel. Say, do you have any association with Globin, sir? Uh, Yes. I know that Brian Feroldi knows it
2: well because he's talked about it before. (laughs) And so when, when he got all happy, I said he shouldn't be happy. Now I know he knows that I know he knows about the company. And then I was like, well, but wait, that means he could try and head fake me. So he knows. I know
0: he knows that I know. This is just Princess Bride all over again. Very well said. A great scene, and thanks for bringing it back. And he specified 11 billion to 14 billion players at home. Brian Stoffel, inside or outside that range?
2: I'm going to do what Brian did. I had a number in my mind. It was in the 20s, so I'm going to say outside.
0: Brian (laughs) knew his stuff. He's written a number of articles about this company. And again, I wouldn't have done well on this particular one, but I can tell you that the market cap for Globant S.A., is thirteen point four eight billion, which is solidly within Brian's rather narrow range of eleven to fourteen billion. And I, I, think, guys, does that make it three to three? It's all tied up. All right, a nice comeback from Feroldi. Loving this. Yeah, the company has eight hundred million in revenues, about sixteen thousand employees, probably maybe some in Costa Rica. I don't know, down in that area of the world. Brian Stoffel. well done. Three. Feroldi, three, Stoffel. Let's move to company number seven. Now, I mentioned companies six and seven are the two that I don't know. So I'm going to turn back to Brian Stoffel. And while I know you guys kind of research stocks that you know nothing about together, I'm going to ask a slightly different question of you, Brian. I'm going to say, how do you begin researching medical technology stocks you know nothing about? In other words, there's the stock and the story and all the rest. Yes. But what about when there's technology that You feel like you should kind of understand before maybe buying a stock. I depend very
2: heavily on the visuals in the slide decks that investor relations build because usually you're gearing those towards some investors that might not know. So
0: I I really lean on those heavily. And that makes a lot of sense, which shows, again, the importance of infographics in this world and doing it really well, especially when you're trying to make a case, maybe through your investor relations department, that you and I should be paying attention to, let's say, patches that you put on your skin to see whether you have skin cancer or not. I see some smiles because you guys may know this company better than I do. I don't know DermTech very well, ticker symbol DM. Tk, but I think I've heard it talked about some on Motley Fool Live. It is a recommendation in a few of our services. Spoiler alert: this is a smaller company than some of the others we might be talking about this week. Let me turn back to Brian Stelfel and say, Brian, do you know anything about DermTech? I
2: know that Brian Feroldi knows a lot about it. I know that you. <laughs> uh, I really don't know that much about it, so my only chance here is to give a narrow range and to get lucky. That's that's okay. my only that's my only promise.
0: That sounds like a good strategy. I wish you the best. As I ask you, what is your market cap range for DermTech ticker symbol DMTK? We're
2: gonna go three point two to four point two billion.
0: I'm gonna turn right away to all of our listeners at home, Brian Froldi, inside that range or outside that range of three point two to four point two billion.
1: So if you don't know this stock, this is a definitely a company that is. Fascinating to check out. They make a clear band aid like patch. You put it on something that could be cancerous. It takes a little bit of your DNA from that patch, sends it off to a lab, and it accurately tells you whether or not you have skin cancer or not. That beats the heck out of the traditional way, which is to scalpel out a part of your skin and send it off to a lab where they visually check it. So it's next generation skin cancer diagnostics. I actually had the pleasure of interviewing the CEO of. DermTech on Motley Fool Live, but I have not looked at the stock recently. So I this is a bit of a flyer for me, but I think if I was to guess, I would guess 1.2 billion market cap. So I'm going to say outside that range.
0: And you pretty much nailed it. And obviously, Brian Brian Feroldi, you're kind of a ringer on this one, having interviewed <laughs> the CEO and uh, well described in terms of what the business does. I didn't know as much about it, although I certainly know that it's popular in some of our services. Uh, what I did do, though, is check what the stock's been doing. It's very interesting. This company basically batted around ten to fifteen dollars a share on low volume throughout most of last year. So this is kind of an unknown company. In December it all of a sudden tripled on a surge in volume. So picture it at 45 and keep your seatbelt on because by February, it touched 85. 85, and since it's dropped down today to where it is at about 35. So this has been a very volatile and small cap, one might even say micro cap stock because the market capitalization for DermTech is $1.03 billion, just barely a billion certainly lower and outside of Brian Stoffel's range which i think means that Brian Feroldi, you've taken a 4-3 lead is there anything that either of you would like to add about Dermtech before we move on
1: yeah really fascinating company uh the kep is very very early on in the commercialization like it's only got a few million dollars of revenue if memory serves but this is one that i certainly
0: have my eye on and will probably follow closely for years to come all right. Fair enough. And yeah, it is one of those companies certainly overspending its means at its development stage, so they're losing a lot of money trying to scale, uh, trying to get the story out, maybe through as good infographics as possible for the Investor Relations Department and Brian Stofel, Well, thank you for sharing that. Let's move on to company number eight. Brian Froldi, if you had to think of a technology industry or two that seems likely to last as long as our civilization, what's, what's one or two that come to mind.
1: Uh, artificial intelligence would be one that I'm pretty bullish on, and will be quite certain <laughs> that it will be around as long as humans are around.
0: Yeah, and what's interesting about that answer is that's still relatively new. It's it's emergent. It's still such early days for that technology. But I think you're right. As long as we're going to have technology, uh, a significant part of our part of our civilization, which I hope lasts a long, long time. It feels as if artificial intelligence is going to be around, and I hope getting better, making us smarter. How about cybersecurity? Right, because I'm thinking about all of the machines that run so many parts of our lives—from our cars to our refrigerators to our desktop PC or tablet. All of these need security, and cybersecurity. Uh, three to go. And cybersecurity these days, I think Brian also merits inclusion on in that list of. It's here to stay. It's going to be with us for the length of our civilization. And this particular company is just one player among many because, guys, it is a great big industry. Does either of you have any cybersecurity stocks peopling your portfolio?
2: Both of us are shareholders of CrowdStrike. I know that. Yep. That was going to be the one I mentioned, too.
0: All right. Well, this one is not CrowdStrike. And I won't say where its market cap is relative to CrowdStrike, because I feel like you guys might know that market cap of the company in your portfolios. But Palo Alto Networks, ticker symbol P-A-N-W, has been in this business for quite a long time. It serves the corporate world. It serves the government world. Network security, again, such a, a critical facet of our human life today. And I think going forward, I will mention Tim Byers, who brought Salesforce to Motley Fool Rule Breakers, also brought Palo Alto Networks. The year was 2014. I'm noticing it was April 23rd, which I always remember as the day Shakespeare died. We celebrate Shakespeare a lot on April 23rd. By the way, guys, Shakespeare's birthday was April 15th, tax day, less celebrated. So that's why I think we all think of 4-23 when we think of Shakespeare, but it was on 4-23-2014 that Tim about Palo Alto Networks to Rule Breakers Brian Froldi what is your specified market cap range for Palo Alto Networks ticker symbol PANW this isn't
1: a company I know as well as CrowdStrike. However, I do know that they have been tremendously successful, and this is kind of a roll-up company of sorts. They have been very acquisitive in the last couple of years, buying to basically become a one-stop shop for enterprises who need anything related to cybersecurity. Um, so, if I was to guess, I would guess this company does about five billion in annual sales put a 17 multiple on that. What's that get us to? 70, 75 billion. So I'll say between 68
0: and $91 billion. All right. 68 to $91 billion dollars is the specified market cap range. Brian Stoffel, players at home inside or outside that range.
2: Boy, this is a tough one because his logic is
0: there. Um, I'm going to go outside though. I think it's lower. And you're right. In fact, the market cap for Palo Alto Networks is $47.23 billion, just outside that range, a little bit smaller. And you know, it's interesting, guys. CrowdStrike started in the year 2011. Its market cap today, $60 billion, which is bigger today than Palo Alto Networks, which is more than 10 years older than CrowdStrike. So really interesting to see how market cap sometimes can pop. And even an upstart can rock a pretty big number in this tech-heavy world where we admire maybe the Johnny-come lately if they've got something better, if they have a better mousetrap. So Palo Alto Networks, $47.23 billion, which means after eight companies, guys, it is four to four, <laughs> Brian versus Brian. How are you doing at home? All right, two final companies. Company number 9, I'm turning now to Brian Stoffel. Brian, what was a favorite toy of yours growing up? Oh, man, when I was little, anything Superman related, it, it really didn't matter what it was. And I hear you there. In fact, I was so unimaginative that I just kept wearing my Superman cape one Halloween after another. I didn't really change it up for several years. I am a fan as well. What about your What about your kids today? Uh, my daughter is big into soccer
2: right now, and my son likes building Brio trains as many mornings as he can.
0: Wonderful. And so a nice mix of well, different brands and different types of toys. And boy, are there a lot of different toys today. Some of them are tech smart. Some toys these days have semiconductor chips in them, which allow them to do amazing things. Let me try out a word association on you, Brian Stoffel. I just want your emotional reaction, maybe one or two words or a phrase when I say this. You ready? Mr. Potato Head. (laughs) Play-Doh. That's what came to mind. (laughs) Well, Mr. Potato Head is one of the properties. In fact, it was the first big breakout toy for Hasbro. I want to share a little bit of its corporate history once we get through the market cap, because I love interesting corporate histories. But Mr. Potato Head, one of many properties of Hasbro today. And of course, I have Hasbro in my mind because it's company number nine. I'm turning back to Brian Stoffel and saying, Brian, what is your market cap range for potato head purveyor Hasbro? Ticker symbol H A S. I'm gonna go twelve billion to twenty-eight billion. All right. Twelve billion to twenty-eight billion players at home. Brian Faroldi inside or outside that range.
1: Well, thank you for picking this company because it is one of the very few publicly traded companies that is headquartered in Rhode Island. So I have friends, I have Love friends it. that work at Hasbro. <laughs> um, they, although to be fair, it's not a stock I track very closely, but they do have a ton of brands uh, under their fold, and I know that they're much bigger than Mattel. Mattel has really lost its way in recent years. So if I, I was going to guess, thirteen billion roughly. So given Brian's range, I'm going to say inside that range.
0: And indeed, you nailed it. And I'm glad to get the Rhode Island native with the Rhode Island company a plus one point, which I think takes us to Brian Feroldi 5, Brian Stoffel 4. A little bit of corporate history here, which you may have already known, Brian Feroldi, but here it is. Three Polish-Jewish brothers, Herman Hillel and Henry Hassenfeld, founded Hassenfeld Brothers in Providence, Rhode Island, in 1923, a company selling textile remnants. Now, I have to admit, I'm not even exactly sure what that is. Over the next two decades, the company expanded to produce pencil cases and school supplies. In 1926, that's three years after founding, Hassenfeld Brothers, has bro, Hassenfeld Brothers was incorporated. Hillel left for another textile business. While Henry took charge of the corporation, they began making their own pencils when their pencil supplier began making pencil cases as well. A little bit more here. Hassenfeld brothers produced modeling clay and then doctor and nurse kits as their first toys. And they became primarily a toy company by 1942. That would be basically 20 years after Hasbro was founded. Hillel died in 1943 and Henry Hassenfeld became CEO while his son, Merrill, became president. The company entered the plastic fields during World War II to support its toy line. Hassenfeld Brothers' first toy hit was Mr. Potato Head, which the company purchased from George Lerner in 1952. In 1954, the company became a Disney major licensee. So, this is another company tied into the Disney ecosystem. In lots of ways, even today, but I love corporate histories. I always feel like they're not taught enough. Like, I think every Rhode Island school child should already know what I just shared with you, right, Brian? D- did you ever get any Hasbro unit in, I don't know, social sciences or history growing up? You just taught me a lot about Hasbro that I didn't know. I would have guessed that their
1: first product was Mr. Potato Head. Uh, I think I knew that. And if memory serves, it was literally a potato that you stuck hands and stuff into. It's evolved over the years.
0: I think that's right. That accords with my memory as well. You know, these days I look, talk about companies that start much later than others and have bigger market caps. I was looking at Roblox, which has been a wonderful rule breaker. Many members, perhaps many listeners, owning some Roblox. Roblox has a market cap today of $46 billion. Now, it's been around for a couple of decades. But it hasn't been around for 100 years, which is about the age of Hasbro. Hasbro, after 100 years, has gotten to a $13.5 billion market cap as an iconic American manufacturer and name. And Roblox is worth about four times the value <laughs> as a relative upstart. So, it's always interesting to see within the same industry what blows up and maybe what doesn't so much. All that said, guys, Hasbro has been a pretty good buy and hold stock. does pay a little dividend, I think, as well. And it's been a a good performer for Motley Fool Stock Advisor, as Roblox has been for Motley Fool Rule Breakers. Well, Well, I didn't intend randomly to ask about a company in your own backyard, Brian, but I'm glad you nailed that. So Brian Froldi, five, Brian Stelfel four. Wow, this is a dramatic ending as we hit company number 10. Let me turn back to you as time starts running out and ask you, Brian Froldi, who does the clothes shopping for you?
1: That would be that would be the missus. I I, I,
0: have, to, I have no sense of style or anything like that. So, yeah. And I, I believe that you've said that in so many words before, as I have as well. I also have the missus making my clothing purchases. <laughs> I'm very grateful for it. You've got a Motley Fool t-shirt on. Presumably, we either sent that one to you or you bought it, so she didn't have to buy that one, I hope, Brian. But some people obviously really love to clothes shop. And I would say maybe the majority of humans do, but some of us are a little weird. And for us slightly weird people, a company like Stitch Fix, ticker symbol SFIX, presents a radical new approach, which is that you don't go to a store or ask your wife to go buy you something at the store. You go to an internet destination, a URL, and you start clicking around and say, I sort of like that one. I don't like that one. And then somebody else that you don't know sends you in a box. It's one of those in-a-box businesses, clothing in a box that gets sent to you. And then you decide if you like it, you keep it. If you don't, you send it back. And the AI starts working in there, right, guys? And it starts getting smarter and sending you stuff that you presumably really like. Stitch Fix is a radical proposition in a world where a lot of people still do enjoy just going down to Nordstrom Rack or whatever it is and do their clothes shopping. That way, the ticker symbol is SFIX. This has been a rule breaker stock of some vintage, and not always a successful one. We'll talk about the stock in a sec, but let me turn back to Brian Feroldi and ask you, Brian, Stitch Fix, do you do you own any of the stock? I bought one
1: share of Stitch Fix for each of my kids because I asked I asked myself what's what brand name could they possibly know that has a huge opportunity that. In a decade, if it was like really successful, it could be like, yeah, I, I've owned that for, for 10 years. And I initially was bearish on Stitch Fix when it first came out. I don't really like the the delivery, uh, the box delivery model. I've seen it fail many, many times, especially when there's food uh, related to it. But I know that Stitch Fix has been an up and down company. It Sometimes reports good earnings, stock goes up, and it's largely been a disappointment. If memory, if memory serves, although I think more recently it's done, it's done good for investors.
0: Well, let's see how that plays out into your impression of the market capitalization. So, Brian Froldy, what is your market cap range for Stitch Fix (ticker symbol SFIX)?
1: I still think this is a pretty small business, so I'm going to say between uh, one and a half billion. And $4.785 billion.
0: Excellent. $1.5 to $4.875 billion. That's seven-eighths, by the way, expressed as a decimal. I know my fractions. Brian Stoffel, inside or outside that range for Stitch Fix? Go I'm going inside the range. And you nailed it, which, guys, means this episode of a Market Cap Game Show was a tie, which is kind of makes it fun. I think I think we should maybe have you guys back sometime and resolve <laughs> this tie, but let's talk briefly about about Stitch Fix. It IPO'd in 2017 toward the end of the year at 15. It had tripled by the next fall. So inside of the year it triples, but then it's back below 15 by March of 2020. It then rises, it skyrockets from last year March at 15-ish to 115. By February of this year, today, it's 36. The market still doesn't know what to make of this company. Founder CEO Katrina Lake steps down as CEO on April 13th of this year. Uh, it's a it's still a really compelling corporate story, I think. And I love that you've got at least one share for each of your kids, Brian F. Brian S., any final thoughts from you about either clothes shopping or Stitch Fix? Uh,
2: no, it's I tried it. I thought it was okay. I didn't love it, and uh,
0: that was enough for me. All right. Well, we're going to leave it right there then. Guys, you've both been so gracious with your time and your insights. I knew I was going to have fun. You know what? If I'm not having fun, I'm not going to do this podcast. I knew I was going to do this podcast because I knew it would be fun. I I do think that you've helped make our listeners smarter, happier, maybe a little bit richer, too. Brian Feroldi, five. Brian Stoffel, five. Guys, I'm going to give you each one to two sentences as you're out to say goodbye, and maybe describe the emotion that you're feeling now at the end of this tie. I'm really mad I let that one
1: slip away, and I'm especially mad since if I just said inside the entire way, I would have blown away. And
2: I am feeling very relieved
1: because we're going to see
2: each other in person in the next week and I didn't want to live this one down. Excellent. Well, in
0: that case, you can look each other squarely in the eye and know that you are equals. And that's where we'll leave it for this week. Coming up next week on Rule Breaker Investing. Well, it's the end of the month. Yep, it's time for your mailbag, the September mailbag. Love any thoughts you have this month on "I Fought the Law" and the Law One, or our review of Palooza of three September samplers, indistinguishable from Magic Tailwind Blow and mm-mm good. We did pet peeves last week, and of course the market cap game show this week. Yep, September one of those months with five Wednesdays in it. So we'll be with you. RBI at rbi.fool.com is the email address. If you'd like to email us a question, thought, poem, anything you'd like to share that you think is worthy of the Rule Breaker Investing Mailbag, we'd love to share it. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful week. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for those market caps. Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.